Hi, I'm David Rothkopf, the CEO of the DSR Network and host of the Deep State Radio podcast. Here at DSR, we have always believed that in a world as complex, fast-moving, and full of risks as ours, we all need access to the best minds. That is why we have created the leading network for expert podcasts on the issues of the day you care about. We go in-depth on politics, the law, national security, foreign policy, intelligence, defense, climate, and new technologies with regular and special guests that are the leading voices in their fields. We also offer daily updates on global news, our DSR Daily, and on a key story of the day through our partnership with the New Republic. That is why over a million times a month, people like you choose to spend time with our hosts and guests. Membership is what supports this, and members get special benefits, including bonus content in virtually all of our podcasts. It's a big deal, and it's a good deal. Our monthly membership price is going to go up for the first time in our history on March 1st. So now is the time you can lock in our founder's rate of just $5 a month. To do so, go to the dsrnetwork.com and click on membership. It's that easy, but don't delay. Today's rates will only be available for a few more weeks. Join us, support us. Go to the dsrnetwork.com right now. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the DSR Daily. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your team here, joined by the other members of your team. Is that how that's how teams work? Chris Cottner, you're one of the members of the team. How you doing? Doing great. Good morning. Excellent. Riley Fessler, you're the linchpin, the foundation of the entire team. How you doing, uh, Riley? I'm well. I'm flattered this morning. Now. Well, that's good. We want to start you in the right kind of mood. Uh, we're here to tell you a little bit about the news and what we think about it. Where do you want to start, Chris? U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, had some remarks um, declaring that the volatility in the Middle East uh, is the most dangerous since 1973. This was in light of the recent attacks that killed three U.S. service members. Um attributing the aggression to Iran-backed militias. There was a quote uh, in the article that I looked at, uh, which is, obviously, I'm not going to telegraph what we might do in this instance or get ahead of the president, but I can tell you that as as the president said on Sunday, we will respond, and that response could be multi-leveled, coming in stages, and be sustained over time. yeah, well, you know, I I, I, I think the, the mood around Washington right now is that the response could start as early as today or tomorrow. Um, but I think what Blinken wants to drive home and the message of the administration is, don't think it's going to be over in a day. Um, uh, you know, he, he used that language we always use, you know, we will respond at a time and a place and a way of our choosing. Um, but I think the other notion is that we uh, will probably do, our response will probably be ongoing, uh, 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 at least continue over a number of days or weeks. 
um, but that should these attacks continue, it can be ramped up. Uh, and so the idea is to put pressure on the Iranians uh, without uh, putting, uh, 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 you know, cr- creating a likelihood of escalation. Uh, and, uh, you know, that probably means no direct attack on Iran right off the bat. Uh, I have a column on this at, uh, at the Daily Beast. Uh, that was posted uh, yesterday. Uh, so if you want more information on that, you can uh, look there. And obviously, we will follow this closely. In a related story, by the way, um, Benjamin Netanyahu, um, the uh, ever-constructive prime minister of uh, Israel, um, uh uh, apparently uh, just uh, said, as we're reporting this this morning, that he will not agree to release thousands of Palestinian prisoners and withdraw Israeli forces from Gaza as part of a hostage deal. Uh, were you working on that that story there, Riley? Yeah, you got it. So just a couple things from Israel uh, and the conflict with Hamas. One of the big events was uh, Israeli commandos killed three Palestinian militants in a West Bank hospital raid. Um, so this is kind of heightened concerns that the war is going to escalate to other areas, which as if there wasn't enough fear of that already happening. Um, and at the same time, there was kind of reports that Hamas was studying a proposal for a ceasefire. However, they said that the proposal must include the withdrawal of the IDF and the end of the conflict. So based on uh, Netanyahu's statements, that's completely a non-starter. So that's unlikely to go anywhere without some serious concessions. And with this raid and kind of the continued military pressure, I doubt there's going to be that much of a concession where they're going to come to the table quickly on this. So I don't think a ceasefire is right on the horizon, but maybe down the road. Yeah, well, you know, the punchline in, in the article that I wrote that I just mentioned was a Gaza ceasefire deal is the only way to avoid a wider war. Um, and, my, you know, the point I make there is uh, it'd be a mistake to respond so strong to Iran that all of a sudden uh, the chances of getting to such a deal are undermined. Now, Hamas, who are bad actors, they're undermining it. Netanyahu, also a bad actor, also undermining it. So it's not a sure thing. But if we want to reduce the risk to U.S. troops, if we want to reduce the risk to shipping in the Red Sea, if we want to um, reduce uh, the, the the killing and the costs uh, of the war in Gaza. There's only one thing that does all of those things and advances our strategic interests in the region, and that's somehow getting to a ceasefire. Uh, it may not be the long-lasting ceasefire. It may not get you towards uh, you know the, all the steps that you need to get to a solution here, uh, but we've got to take the first step in that direction, and that's. I think what the administration is still prioritizing, uh, and uh, you know, clearly Netanyahu and Hamas are not going to make it uh, easy, um, uh, and uh, there will be no long-term solutions until both of them are out of the picture. Chris, the Democratic Super PAC Future Forward is set to spend two hundred fifty million dollars on the reelection campaign. Uh, for Joe Biden. This represents a record amount spent by a super PAC and will be distributed among uh, television and digital platforms. 
and focus on key battleground states, including Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Um, I actually found it to be uh, incredibly heartening (laughs) that we're spending this amount of money that there's obviously, despite what we hear in the media and the polls, uh, that people are actually interested in reelecting Joe Biden. Um, $250 million is a lot of money. Well, it's a good thing, and we're lining up all of our forces. The Republicans are up in arms, of course, that in the Defense Department, in conjunction with advanced bioengineering people, have uh, created Taylor Swift uh, as a uh, operative of the deep state, which I've been seeing a lot of on the internet. Uh, she has 293 million followers uh, and is pro-Biden. And they're they're very worried that uh, she can play a big role in all of this. Um, uh, and, you know, I hope she can. But uh, joking about Taylor Swift aside, um, uh, the, the reality is that the, the, the main battleground for this campaign uh, is going to be grassroots. It's going to be getting people on the ground to get turnout, which is where those, those big money donations help, and communicating via social media where everybody from Taylor Swift with her 293 million followers to you or your Aunt Fanny with 10 followers gets the message out, motivates people, uses your multiplier effect, um, because that's where ads are seen. You know, in 2016, when these these the Trump ran for the first time, you, you placed big ads, they ran on the networks. Now they don't. Now they run in social media. Uh, and so... Um, uh, the, the the money doesn't really go to to placing them there, although some does. Um, uh, the, the 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 real winner of this election is going to be the one who mobilizes the most people in social media to become amplifiers of their messages, and then the one who gets the biggest turnout. Riley, the House Republicans continue to refuse to actually govern as they are moving to quickly impeach uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, uh, accusing him of willful and systematic refusal to enforce immigration laws. So we've talked about this a little bit on the show before, but now there is a uh, date set for the Homeland Security Committee vote on two articles of impeachment and a full House vote expected to follow soon after. Um, and this is just, again, as we've said before, part of the Republican effort to make uh, impeachment meaningless, uh, as there are legitimate impeachments against Trump. They're trying to basically make it seem like it's just a political tool, which, of course, it should not be. Uh, but they are certainly using it as such. You just put your finger on it. That This is part of their tactic to delegitimize whatever it is uh, that is legitimate that the Democrats have done. And that's why... Uh, you know, Trump was impeached for real reasons twice. No president ever in our history has been done like that. And so, you know, if they make up these idiotic impeachments based on no charges, um, you may think, well, that's stupid. It's not going to go anywhere. And it's not really. Um, but it it just delegitimizes the process. And it it, it takes a tool away from people who promote and support the rule of law. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, and I was just going to say the big irony of this is that while the House Republicans are doing this, Mayorkas is working with the Senate on a bipartisan border package. So 
he's clearly making an effort to actually do what they're accusing him of failing to do. And it's even a bipartisan effort. It's, but the House Republicans just want to go ahead with this. Well, if, anybody, if anybody's guilty of blocking enforcement of the, of the border, um, it's the Republicans. They say it's a big crisis. Uh, they've made Ukraine aid conditional on the border uh, package being put through. And now that there's a possibility of a border package, uh, their response is, uh, well, not so fast. We don't need that. You don't need a you don't need a deal. You can just enforce it. Or as Trump says, don't give Biden a win. You know, wait until I get into office and we won't really do anything. So is it a crisis or is it not a crisis? Uh, well, they're the ones going to be blocking progress. Just watch this space. That's what's going to happen. Uh, and so they are actually going to be the ones who are guilty of what they're accusing Mayorkas of. With, with you know who is a you know a good sound effective public servant as you pointed out chris uh, a pakistan court sentenced former prime minister imram khan to 10 years in prison for disclosing state secrets uh this is his second conviction con- <clears throat> excuse me this is his second conviction uh in recent months and comes as His party's facing a severe crackdown uh, with elections on the horizon and many of them running as independents. Um, The conviction, uh, which I would be amazed if he actually saw the inside of a jail, but, you know, who knows? I'm not in Pakistan. Um, But the sentencing sparked concerns uh, with their upcoming elections in terms of being fair. Um, And this is amidst a bailout or uh, economic recovery effort that's been supported by um, the International Monetary Fund. So um, I don't, I'm curious of your thoughts on Imram Khan and what's well, going he's on not in a, Pakistan. He's not a very good guy. You know, he's apparently he was a good cricket player, but he was not a good prime minister. And he was uh, probably guilty of a lot of cronyism and things that are endemic in Pakistani politics. And um, uh, you know, what I found novel about this is that they're actually sentencing somebody to jail for mishandling state secrets. You know, if only we did that, but oh no, you know, tomorrow, um, uh, uh, Judge Eileen Cannon has actually got a private meeting with Jack Smith because Trump wants access to more of the secret documents, which seems like a great idea, right? It's like, you know, somebody's, you know, convicted of like robbing a bank saying, I'd like access to more guns, please. Um, but, uh, you know, Eileen Cannon is essentially, uh, you know, Trump's most effective defense attorney. Uh, and I think, and I'll really go out on a limb here, the decision of Jack Smith to prosecute this case in Florida, where there was a one in four chance that she would be the judge, um, was a big mistake. And it's, it's now virtually impossible that prior to the election, the American people will have a jury's judgment as to whether one of the two candidates systematically um, abused or worse national secrets, including nuclear secrets. Uh, that would seem to me to be the kind of thing we would prioritize. But just as the Republicans are busy trying to delegitimize some processes. There are other processes like that one. They're just trying to um, obstruct 
so that nothing happens until after Trump can try to get elected and then do some of this stuff. Riley? Well, the International Criminal Court's chief prosecutor, Kareem Khan, has reported to the Security Council that war crimes are being committed in Darfur by Sudan's army and its rival forces, the Rapid Support Forces. Um, And these are part of a renewed conflict that began in April of last year. But this conflict has been going on back to 2003. And these war crimes are not a new phenomenon. Uh, They are still investigating crimes in the region, including against the former presidents, Omar al-Bashir, and other senior officials. And the quote that... uh, Khan said that really stuck with me is that he warned that Darfur could become a quote forgotten atrocity. And I think that's just kind of drives some of the point we talk about on this show frequently, which is there are so many of these other humanitarian crises and atrocities happening that do not make the headlines that things like Gaza and Ukraine do, but are nonetheless still vitally important to the region. And just from a humanitarian perspective, it's something that we need to be paying attention to and it's good to see that uh, the chief prosecutor is still taking these uh, charges very seriously. Yeah, certainly in the Western media, there's a hierarchy of caring, which is directly correlates with the color of the people who are involved. So if it's white people, we write a lot about it. Um, and it goes down to, you know, um, black people in Africa, we just, we just don't care as a general rule. Um, and uh, it's, disgusting. It's a manifestation of racism. It's a form of institutional racism where the institutions involved are not governments uh, necessarily, but media outlets. And it's something that's got to be systematically combated by anybody who cares about it. So, you know, the other thing you can do is if you see this stuff uh, and you care about it, amplify it. You've got a lot of tools you can amplify it on. Um, and, uh, you know, tying to my earlier point. And so if you see a story like this, you're on Twitter or you're on threads, or you're on blue sky, or you're on spoutable, or you're on Instagram or you're on TikTok, or you've got your own YouTube channel or you're on Facebook, which means you're a very, very old person. Um, uh, you know, uh, you know, go and 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 spread the word. Spread the word on stories you care about. Uh, I don't know if you can still do that on Netscape and AOL where you are, Chris. I don't think so. I don't have AOL, and Netscape died long time ago. I thought those were your. That's I is AOL still thing. here? I still see people with the AOL email. Yeah, no, addresses. I think there is an AOL email addresses, but uh, I had an AOL email address. You know, and you used once. to get excited when you opened up your computer and it said, you've got mail. Exactly. Those was, those were, it was a long time ago. But, I mean, it was long enough ago. Riley doesn't even remember this. But when you first signed on, what did you get at, before you got you've got mail? You got that modem connection sign, right? The, That's right. That's right. Um, before before you before you got a, a beep and and you got connected, do you remember any of that, Riley? No, I have to say that was before my time. Yeah, I don't remember that. Steve what Case was, was laughing all the way to the bank, though. Yeah, and yeah, and he's you know out there doing some good things with his money. Uh, Riley, I, I I don't want to put you on the spot here, but I really do. Uh, 
when you when when how old were you when you had your first email account oh man my first i was probably in like middle school when i had my first personal and, and, email account and what what was the what was the name of your email address I still use it, so I, I don't want people spamming my personal email account. But <laughs> wait a minute, is that R Fezzi, your Twitter account? It, it is not R Fezzi, but yes, you can reach me on my Twitter at R Fezzi. Please give me a follow. Oh yeah, my See, my not, old. Sorry, I was yeah, just saying. Go my oldest son does not know a world where the iPhone doesn't exist. And my youngest does not know a world where the iPad doesn't exist, which launched in 2010. So uh, despite my age, these guys, yeah, they've had email accounts pretty much since they were <laughs> two. Yeah, and my dad, who worked at the Center of All Technological Innovation in the United States, Bell Telephone Laboratories, um, actually was different from a lot of the other dads because he actually had a computer terminal in his office and you would go to the computer terminal uh which was connected to a mainframe down the hall um and uh you would use punch cards to run programs and uh, we were you know would get big bags full of the little holes out of the punch cards that we could use as confetti around the house of course they were so small that they would never ever get picked up even by the vacuum cleaner um and, uh, uh, you know, would, there was a lab, there was a Bell Labs, there was a little museum. And in the little museum at Bell Labs, one of the things they had was something called a picture phone. And you would stand in a little phone booth and somebody else would stand in a other little phone booth and a picture would come up of the other person. You could see them while you talked to them. And this was considered wildly innovative. My father took us there when I was like nine or something. And uh, I used it and I came out and I said, but dad, it's in black and white. And uh, he thought that was very blase that, you know, you could, that I, that's, that's what I was noticing rather than the fact you could actually see a person. So I, I go, I go way back before uh, where your, where your sons go. Um, uh, and, uh, I remember the computer course I took in high school, we, we, all our programs were on paper tape. So we would punch in the program and you get this big, long reel of paper tape, which was the program. And the bigger your reel of tape, the more complicated your program was kind of a status symbol. Um, it's kind of nerdy and pathetic, isn't it, Chris? Yes, it is very nerdy and pathetic, but I am nerdy Thank and pathetic, you. so I'm fine with it. Yeah, thank you. I felt comfortable. I felt comfortable sharing it with you since I knew that about you. And you want to know something, folks? Here at DSR Network, we're mostly nerds. If you've been following us for like a decade, you know that we refer to our deep state radio nerds with love because nerds rule the world. Everybody knows that. And the nerds tune into DSR because we deal in facts and try to do things in depth. Last point today, our newest program uh, is premiering uh, on the network. Chris, what is it? It's called the TNR Daily Blast. Uh, Riley uh, had the pleasure of producing the first episode last night. Um, it's out on Apple, 
Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're really excited. The first episode was actually a great episode um, with a, uh, a a guest that talked through Republican governors um, against uh, Trump and trying to mobilize this uh, community. I thought I thought the first episode was quite good. And who's the host? Who's the host? Riley, who's the host? The host is Greg Sargent of TNR, formerly of Washington Post. So, what does what does TNR stand for, Riley? The New Republic. Yeah. Okay. Just want everybody to have all this info. If you're a subscriber to the DSR um, uh, feed, you'll you'll get this in your feed, so you don't have to go anywhere else. Um, But it's worth worth getting. There's now two daily shows from us each day, plus one in-depth show from us almost every day. Some days there's two. So, you know, if you're a member, you're now getting bonus content and something like, I don't know, a lot of shows. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a good deal. And we're, we're really happy to be able to bring you more uh, in-depth expert perspectives in a year when we really need those things. So check it out uh, and come back here tomorrow. Don't, 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 you know, give us up just because we got another daily out there and, uh, and we'll uh, try to keep the show even shorter than I promise until then. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Riley. And thanks everybody for listening.